Mrs. Potter had also seen to it that the furniture was of the finest mahogany, the filing and specimen cases of the most approved models, while the leather-seated chairs and lounges added greatly to the comfort of the occupants of the room. No expense had been spared and for the first time in his hard-working, studious life, Ben Potter had found himself surrounded with every comfort which money could purchase. Potter's marriage to his pretty stenographer had been a severe shock to several impecunious relatives and a nine days wonder to his small world. He had taken the surprised comments and sometimes belated congratulations of both relatives and friends with the same placid good nature which characterized all his actions. Nina, with a tact for which she had not been credited, went out of her way to cultivate his friends, and if she felt the chilly reception accorded her, never by word or manner betrayed the fact. Seated alone in his room and absorbed in his book, Potter was oblivious of the lengthening shadows, and was only recalled to his surroundings by the opening of the door. Well, what is it? he asked testily. Oh. At sight of his wife, his expression brightened. I did not expect you home so soon. Soon? Nina laughed softly as she brushed his unruly gray hair back from his forehead. Have you no idea of the time? It is nearly six o'clock, and you should not be reading with only one light turned on. Dr. McLean must talk to you. Potter made a wry face. I would rather listen to you than any doctor, he said and pulled forward a chair close to his own. Tell me, have you had a pleasant time at Mrs. Parsons' tea? Does one ever have a pleasant time at a tea? Nina's gesture was eloquent. Where are your matches, dear? Fumbling, as she spoke, with her cigarette case. Potter frowned slightly as he located a matchbox under the tumbled papers on his desk and struck a light for her. He had never been able to master his dislike to women smoking, in spite of his staunch belief that his pretty wife was always right in everything she did. Reading his expression like a book, Nina slipped her hand inside his and leaned against his arm. It is very lonely going about without you, she murmured. I don't enjoy myself a bit when you remain at home. Potter turned and kissed the soft cheek so near his own. My holiday is over, he answered, and putting out his foot touched a packing case, its contents partly spread on the floor in an untidy pile. I cannot neglect my work. You will never be accused of that, with flattering emphasis. But, dear, I need want your society more than these dreadful reptiles, and she made a slight grimace as she glanced at the bottles containing specimens preserved in alcohol which adorned the shelves of a cabinet near at hand. I know, lowering her voice, I'm selfish. I love your selfishness, dear, he replied and held her closely to him just as a tap sounded on the door. Confound it. Come in. The Japanese servant, who answered his command, bowed profoundly, and his calm gaze never flickered at sight of the lover-like attitude of husband and wife. You home, sir? he asked. Yes, of course, I'm home. What of it? Potter dropped his arm from about his wife's waist in embarrassment. Mr. Rogers call upon you. The Japanese spoke without haste. You see him? Certainly.
Bring him here, and at the words Moto vanished. Here, echoed Nina. Isn't it a bit untidy? What of it? He hasn't come to see us, he grumbled. Probably thinks Kitty is here. I don't approve of Kitty playing fast and loose with those two men. What men? Nina was not looking at her husband and missed his keen scrutiny. Ted Rogers and Lee Wallace, briefly. If it goes on much longer, I will speak to Cousin Susan Baird. Hello, what did you do that for, as the room was suddenly plunged in darkness? A second later the light flashed up. I pulled the wrong string, Nina explained as she lighted both sides of the electric lamp. Potter paused undecidedly, then rose and, going over to the packing case, tossed Excelsior and paper back into it and pushed it behind a screen. When he turned back, he saw Nina deftly rearranging the ornaments and papers on his flat-top desk. In silence he watched her graceful movements and the play of the lamplight on her hair which shone like spun gold under its rays. It would have taken a more observant man than her husband to have discovered that nature's art had been supplemented by the rouge pot. No wrinkles marred the soft pink and white tint of her complexion, and few would have guessed that she had passed her thirtieth birthday. Looking up, Nina caught her husband's gaze and flushed faintly. I hope Mr. Rogers won't stay long, she began, and checked herself hastily as Moto ushered in their collar. So very glad to see you, Mr. Rogers, she exclaimed, extending her hand, which rested in his for a fraction of a second, and was withdrawn. At the touch of her cold fingers, Rogers looked intently at her. He still found it hard to realize that the fashionably gowned woman before him was Ben Potter's wife. Benna Benedict. The mere idea had provoked a smile, and the announcement of the marriage in cold print had produced a burst of merriment, and the silent hope that Ben had found a motherly soul to run his house for him. Instead of which, with the perversity of fate, Ben Potter had selected a wife at least fifteen years his junior, who would most certainly enjoy the social life of Washington to the full. Potter had formed a strong attachment for the younger man when spending a winter in San Francisco three years before and Rogers had been a frequent visitor since his arrival in Washington. His visits, as Potter shrewdly noted, were generally timed to find Kitty Baird with her cousins and ended in his escorting her home. I missed you both at Mrs. Parsons' tea, so dropped in for a chat, Rogers remarked accepting a cigar from Potter as Nina perched herself on one end of the lounge. Why weren't you there? Nina went, answered Potter, throwing himself down in his favorite chair. You don't catch me at a tea. You were there, Mrs. Potter? Rogers spoke in surprise. I searched for you. It was a frightful jam. Nina picked up her work bag which she had left on the lounge earlier in the afternoon and unfolded its contents. I did not stay long. But you heard the news? News? Potter glanced up, expectantly. The tone in which the question was put arrested his attention, which had strayed to his wife. Was there any special news? Nina, you didn't tell me. I heard no news in particular. 
Nina held a needle and thread near the light. To what do you refer, Mr. Rogers? To the death of Miss Susan Baird. Potter sat bolt upright. His healthy color changed to a sickly white. Cousin Susan dead? Impossible. It is a fact. Mr. Craig told me Rogers stooped over and picked up the needle, which had slipped from Nina's clutch. Take care you don't prick yourself, Mrs. Potter, he warned, as he placed it in the palm of her hand and noticed the quick, spasmodic movement of her fingers. The news had just gotten about and everyone at the tea was talking of Miss Baird. That's turning the tables, usually Cousin Susan talked about everybody, Potter remarked, breaking a slight pause. Why hasn't Kitty telephoned us? I am now her nearest living relative. She may have tried to reach us, suggested his wife. I don't suppose Moto answered the telephone in my absence, he hates it. Did you hear it ring, Ben? No, shortly. I can't say I grieve over your news, Ted. I have always resented Cousin Susan's treatment of Kitty. Made the girl slave for her, the venomous old scandalmonger. Ben. Nina's shocked tone caused her husband to pause in his rapid speech. Did you hear, Mr. Rogers, the cause of Cousin Susan's death? Bit her tongue and died from blood poisoning, growled Potter, before Rogers could answer. Ben. Well, all right, dear, I'll say no more. But, in self-defense, noting Rogers' surprise, I've had no cause to love Cousin Susan I heard her caustic remarks about my marriage. Never mind that now, with a quick glance at his wife. Go ahead, Ted, tell us of what Cousin Susan died. The coroner will have to answer that question, Ben. The coroner. Potter rose to his feet and stared at his guest. What do you mean? Oh, hurry your speech, man, don't keep us in suspense, as Rogers hesitated and eyed Mrs. Potter in some trepidation. Judging from her sudden loss of color, she was about to faint. Your cousin was found dead, he said, and got no further. Found dead where, demanded Mrs. Potter, breathlessly. In her library. Potter broke the pause. Go ahead and tell us what you know, Ted. He reseated himself. Give us every detail. Rogers shook his head. I know very little on the subject, he said. I stopped on the way here and telephoned to Rose Hill, but could get no response, so I came right here supposing you could tell me further news. I thought Miss Kitty might be with you. We have not seen Kitty since early this morning, answered Nina. Who found Cousin Susan? Rogers, his ear trained to detect variations in the human voice, observed a faint huskiness in the usual soft tones. I do not know, Mrs. Potter, he said. Miss Baird was so well known in Washington that her death was commented on at the tea, and I only heard a garbled account of what occurred. Perhaps there might be something in the evening paper. To be sure. Potter jumped at the suggestion, and hurrying toward the door, pushed an electric bell. A second later and Moto responded. The evening paper, quick. Moto let his gaze travel around the room, 
then darting forward he crossed to where the packing case stood partially concealed behind the screen. Delving into its contents, he returned a moment later with a crumpled newspaper and extended it to his master.